0: Someone, my, the person I was there with told me... Uh, I mean, she did not say this. Like It sounds like an urban legend to me, but she said it so confidently that it, it might be true that uh, at other places they've stopped doing the chainsaw thing, even without the live blades, because it turns out you can still get your hair caught in the motor of a chainsaw if someone is swinging it wildly near you. So,
1: Since we're talking about chainsaw hair safety... Uh I guess this must be a show about the television series The Big Bang Theory. You're listening to The Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick, and I'm Kyle. And yeah, it's uh it's spooky season. And Kyle and I seem to uh have had similar chainsaw experiences. And I don't know. You know what, Kyle? That also sounds to me like mostly an urban legend, but it it doesn't seem infeasible. I can I uh I don't know enough about chainsaws to know that they're not going to suck your hair up and tear it out of your head. That's
0: It's just one of those. It's like there are all these stories that people tell you and then you're like, okay, but did that happen to anyone that you act like? Um, so tell me if you, I don't know. Did you ever ride the bus when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Okay. Did they ever give you like a bus safety lecture when you were a kid at any point?
1: I doubt it, but okay. I mean, yeah, it not that Montana, I remember.
0: But I remember specifically because uh, them giving us a bus safety lecture where they talked about, please don't ever roll the window down, you have to keep the windows up because sometimes if the windows go down and your hair gets sucked out the window, then it can get wrapped around a tree. And then your when the bus starts going again, your head will be pulled off. Um I don't think they actually said your head will be pulled off because even then, like, but they, I mean, they didn't say, they just said your, I think they just said your hair can get wrapped around a tree. And I imagine like a five-year-old's head popping off. Probably what would happen if this could happen at all is that you would just lose a bunch of the hair on your scalp and it would be painful. But either way, not sure it ever has happened in the history of bus rides ever.
1: We had a safety talk uh, in seventh and eighth grade gym about why, if a uh any of the varieties of sport balls should go over the fence we daren't leap over the fence because
0: because the old man and his mean dog
1: oh god if only that that would have been nothing you know i'm from butte montana we're tough we i fucking punch dogs in the face all the time back there but no it was because uh if he he warned us like you might see some like little weird things on the end of those fences, little nubbly knobs. Those are the testicles of children from the past <laughs> who have attempted to leap the fence and fail.
0: Wait, <laughs> they actually told you if you look carefully, you'll be able to see, like, small...
1: Like like, like Count Diopons. Dracul's victims. <laughs> yes, uh, that we w- we could see the scores of testicles past having turned to to small, raisin-like husks that just... Uh, Litter the the fence. I didn't jump the fence because I was unathletic. Uh,
0: That is quite wild.
1: Yeah, Um, the old times. Okay,
0: so it is good to know that like just lying to children has always been part of how adults teach safety.
1: Kyle, I say this in all seriousness, that I think the concept of not lying to children is pretty novel. Like, I I think the idea, like, yeah, maybe you should, like, treat those weird little things with, like, respect and love and, like, they're independent creatures because we've noticed that everyone up till now is pretty fucked up. We've got to be doing something wrong. Like, maybe we're just out of ideas and we're just going to lay it out straight with kids from now. (laughs) This is about a television show, by the way, this podcast. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Speaking we Speaking of that. telling
0: things straight, in this episode, someone is a little too straightforward about things, and it everything goes to crap. How about that?
1: Front loading feelings. I mean, to tell you, uh, this episode, you know, didn't make me laugh hard. I didn't. I didn't find any joke particularly compelling. But I, the the plot wise, uh, it felt like a theoretically good comedy of errors. Like, especially near the end when there's the, the conflagration of confrontations. Uh, but well, none hopefully. of it is done cleverly. <laughs> none of it's fun. Um, that's how I feel. What about you?
0: Uh, no, I totally, I mean, it was interesting insofar as they threatened to shake up the status quo. Uh, but of course, you know, nothing ever comes of it. So, if, you know, it was a fine, it was fine. Yeah, The the characters, their actions and reactions to each other was funny. And, I will say this, I like the A plot and the B plot equally, which is about as much as you can hope for most of the time these days.
1: Yeah, it's... uh, I might have to disagree with you there. We will get into it. I guess we should describe what those A and B plots are. And before we describe the plots, uh, this week's episode is officially Season 6, Episode 15, the spoiler alert segmentation, which... I'm gonna give the show some credit here. Title obviously about spoiler alerts. Uh instigating incident in this episode is about a spoiler alert. Specifically, Sheldon spoiling uh parts of Harry Potter for Leonard, who is is an adult. I mean that sucks, but get over it. Get over it, Leonard. Um yeah, at you the have same
0: plenty of time.
1: At, at the same time, the thing that I enjoy is that this episode isn't actually about spoiler alerts. I feel like if this were... that's good. That's a good point. Yeah, if this were an earlier trash episode, that uh, it would have been like a a competition of spoiling increasingly intense things. Uh, And I, I like that instead. It was like, oh, here's an actual nerd thing or people that, you know, not even nerds, anyone gets upset about, but it's not like literally the entire episode. So thank you for that, BBT. But yeah, all right, those A&B plots. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, Sheldon spoils some Harry Potter stuff for Leonard. Leonard calls Sheldon out. Sheldon is, you know, as dismissive and sassy as ever, and Leonard is fed up. He's like, you know what? Uh, I've been living with all of your hijinks for years. I don't know why I continue to put up with it when I have a perfectly good girlfriend I can move in with. And so he storms out, immediately marches over to Penny's place and says, hey, oh, you're never going to believe it. I just had this big blow up with Sheldon. I think it might be over. But good news is, now I have a perfect excuse to move in with you. Isn't that right? Perfect sweetheart, baby doll. Uh, Penny very reasonably goes, uh, what the fuck? And she isn't open, though. And that's that's going to be a theme throughout the episode, you'll see. Is uh, Instead, she kind of challenges Leonard to, uh, well, actually no other way around. Leonard challenges her to give him any reasons why he shouldn't move in. And she's too dumbfounded uh, and also scared to say, because I don't want to. And so uh, he, I want to say browbeats her into it, but that suggests that there was some sort of actual coercion. She just immediately caves. So that's how that goes. Correspondingly, Amy, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but Amy is helping Sheldon uh, pick up the pieces of his uh, old life so he can move forward and is like, you know what, with, she- uh, with Leonard out of the way, I know who would be the perfect roommate for you. Me, Amy, and Sheldon uh, himself, now dumbfounded, can't be open and honest and also can't think of a really good reason why they shouldn't move in together. And where this leads to is uh, Sheldon and Penny somehow secretly being on the same wavelength during a series of confrontations where neither of them can talk to their own partner, but will openly discuss with the other couple the problems they're having, specifically uh, that they both, uh, through uh, inference of each other's outward motives, uh, seem to be uncomfortable with the degree of intimacy that is suddenly being thrust upon them. (laughs) And that's... uh, Eventually there's a big confrontation, all of it blows up, everything gets out, and everything goes back to how it was, like like Kyle said. But we're missing the the big B plot, which is, while all of this is happening, and actually I didn't think about it till now, completely disconnected from anything we just discussed. Yeah. Yeah, Wallowitz and Bernie are going to Vegas for some sort of work conference thing, I don't know. and while they're gone. Uh, Wallowitz asks Raj if he can check up on his mom, uh, and he does, and I don't know, maybe this is, uh, thematically spooky enough, uh, turns out to be a horror movie house and he can't get out, uh, he, he initially seems to be very satisfied with the amount of affection and food that Wallowitz's mom is, is giving him, but, uh, he then starts to realize, oh wait, the, the clothes I brought with me are no longer here, my keys are missing, I, I, got, I don't know, I got drunk, and then she was just tucking me into Walowitz's bed. Uh, and Walowitz uh, checks in on him and says, You gotta get out of there, man. There's no escaping. And uh, there isn't. He doesn't, he doesn't get out. Nope. Uh, the, the this stinger, is the
0: last episode Raj was ever in.
1: That would be incredible. That would be like, if, if David Lynch consulted on one season uh and it was just like you have to have just weird shit happen every now and then you gotta you know i'm not even gonna say that that she murdered him he's probably in another dimension or something but he's not getting out of that house uh well, and,
0: like, so not uh to totally well screw it i don't well finish, finish tell what say what happened to the last
1: well scene. i mean that's really about it is yeah raj tries to get out of the window and uh, you just
0: see him getting jerked back in
1: yeah yeah it's uh, it doesn't work out for him it, it's uh, a scary movie ending
0: so in the in the uh, somewhat famous comic series Garfield, uh, chronicling the adventures of Garfield the Cat, uh, Garfield's owner, John Arbuckle, originally had a roommate. Uh, in fact, it is not the case that John is the owner originally of both Garfield and the dog Odie. John owns Garfield, and then his roommate, whose name I do not know, owned Odie. Uh, and then mm. eventually eventually the guy who jim davis i think his name is yes. was like well i don't have many i don't have many gags for this roommate character so he just wrote him i mean he didn't he just stopped writing him it wasn't like he wrote him out of the comic strip or he moved he just there stopped he stopped appearing in panels and it was a long time before anyone even noticed or thought to ask what had happened to that guy but eventually years later he released an interactive video game for like in the early days of the World Wide Web, which was like a Halloween-themed Garfield game where you could click around and explore uh, John Arbuckle's house on Halloween night. And okay. if you if you go into the basement, there is a skeleton chained up, like ornate like you know, like it could be a decoration. But then you notice that the skeleton has. Uh, I can't remember what it had, the shirt like has the roommate's name on it, implying that John actually murdered the roommate and after, or chained him up in the basement for several years and eventually he died down there.
1: And I assume that's canonical then. There's yeah, nothing that course. says that it this be? doesn't happen outside of their universe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything that spices up John Arbuckle. I went for Halloween once with John Arbuckle. How did I, you convince people you were? I mean,
0: isn't that just like jeans and a blue button-up shirt?
1: Yeah, my 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 sick my sick little twist, my perverted little freak turn on its head was uh, I, I'm a John Ardbuckle that had lost it, and so I was wearing a um a severed Garfield head around my neck on a necklace and was covered in blood, and yeah, that was that was my thing. Happy Halloween uh very good it was fine yeah um well dead roommates that's fun i'm sorry that he didn't get his due but to to try to bring it back to the show we're talking about oh man isn't that just like leonard's girlfriend stephanie who just kind of disappeared without any sort of acknowledgement
0: oh yeah sheldon definitely oh i forgot the only part so can we... When we're naming this episode, we haven't talked about it yet, but can we call this episode Soy Boys? Or the oh, adventures hey, of Soy Kyle, Boys?
1: Kyle, agreed, okay? <laughs> I was, I was a fucking one step ahead of you, because, yeah, let's talk about that, because that is something that um, could be the basis for some real conspiracy theory bullshit, which is um, throughout the episode, Sheldon makes a few comments about how... Huffy Leonard is. And he label he, he attributes both to I think general issues with the lactose intolerance, but also more specifically that because of the intolerance, Leonard uh has to drink a lot of soy products, and how that uh wouldn't you know it, alt-right Sheldon is like, oh, it's throwing off your testosterone, and you're gonna start growing tits and lactating because you're a soy boy, Leonard. Except Sheldon actually doesn't have any of that really evil spin on it. But absolutely is like, yeah, he's a soy boy. Classic soy boy. Penny, you know what we're talking about, right? Yeah, come on.
0: Drank too much soy, the estrogen, the soy has, you know, turned him into a girl.
1: Which, by the way, I like, you know, I I think, Kyle, you and I often assume that when we talk about this shit that anyone has any idea what the hell we're talking about. Uh, Real quick, for those who haven't spent their lives on the internet and dealt in alt-right weird areas. Uh, and
0: are presumably either, like, uh, or just if if you somehow are listening to this podcast but managed to avoid all of that, God bless you. Your, your life must, you a must sweet be so life. happy. What a sweet life,
1: yes. I enjoy my, my TV show. I enjoy things about my TV show. And anything that comes up collateral to those doesn't matter to me. <laughs> that would be lovely. Uh, but, yeah, just the idea that, uh, you know especially amongst liberal men folk, that they are literally untestosteroning themselves through overconsumption of soy products. And that's how they're all beta cucks. That's a thing that some fucking people actually believe. Good times. But yeah, I don't know what else about this episode really catches me. Uh, something that like has also no relevance, but is just a fun thing, is uh, there's a scene where in Vegas... In bed, Wallowitz and Bernie are recovering from their sex injuries. I thought that, not even funny. I was more just like, you know, I'm glad they're having a good time. I'm glad Vegas is actually going well. Yeah. Who among us? Yeah. It's just like, uh, you know, I I really get so frustrated by Wallowitz so frequently. But this is one of those few, few moments where I'm like, hey, good for you, man. I'm glad... I'm glad you're actually having a good marriage time and not doing some weird, nasty, pervert shit. Or if you're doing it, at least this is like the one single time that Bernie is into it. Oh man, Kyle, I worry that I too succinctly summarize the episode or there's nothing else to go on. I feel like I've just got so little to contribute on this one. Please save me for myself.
0: Uh, uh, Let's see. Let's see here. Uh, what else happens in
1: this? So we talked about the
0: Soy Boys. We talked about yeah.
1: Wallowitz's mom is really manipulative. Like, yeah. immediately yeah. starts doing the Wallowitz shit to him, like blatantly.
0: I mean, have you ever have you ever been in that scenario where someone else's mom started treating you like they were your kid, and it just made you slightly wildly uncomfortable?
1: No, I uh, I've been in that experience. Many times, I'm just not familiar with the discomfort. I like being recognized as a special boy by as many people as I can get it from.
0: Fair enough. Let's see. We, uh... We...
1: Penny's hair is nice. We're dying. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's another one of those where, like, like I said, nothing really made me laugh in this one. And it's theoretically interesting. Like I said, there's... Uh, so much build up to the one big confrontation one other thing I'll say I guess is that this is one of also the few episodes where Sheldon is distinctly a human being again like when Amy wants to move in he suddenly is beyond reasoning he can't even discuss it because he's so overwhelmed by the thought that he kind of just turns into a jabbering mess and that I think you know, I'll, I'll complain a lot when things are uncharacteristic for Sheldon. But this seemed uncharacteristic in a really good and fun way. That like there are things that nonetheless can even shake Sheldon, and one of those commitment and intimacy. <laughs> that yeah, was two I mean, I things.
0: That's the, that's the he uh, he finds himself in a situation which he admits where he's like, "There's no." I mean, I guess this is a somewhat, shell because there is no logical reason why they shouldn't be living together, and that is what is hard for him. Amy, Amy proves that she is- would, in fact, be, on paper, the perfect roommate, because she is the only person who can stand him and also remember all of his weird uh, quirks and conditions and accommodate them. But that's not enough. Yeah. you know okay i know let's i i know how we're going so let's talk about high modernism for a second shall oh, we Oh,
1: jesus okay let's do it
0: so high modernism is uh a theory i don't know if it was ever championed by anyone as an actual uh while it was high modernism is mostly a uh a critique thrown backwards in time at a period when people uh thought that you could uh you know, reduce everything to, uh, you know, an easy systemic process, you know, and build everything from the ground up. So if you've ever dealt with anyone who has like an engineering or a tech degree, who's just like, oh, well, this is all overly complicated. Why don't we just, uh, you know, tear it down, start from scratch, and we'll make everything work so much simpler, you know, with less steps.
1: And people who like live exclusively like within the empirical world as well, right? Like they, not just like the process, but they can, they want like things actually Put together unambiguously, or is that incorrect? Yeah, legibly okay. is
0: specifically yes. the word that they use. You got to be able to, like, everything has to be legible. Nothing can be, like, we, like you know, you can never say, you're never allowed to say, I don't know, man. It just, it, it, it's better that way, and I can't explain why. That's not an acceptable answer. So this, in, like, the middle of the 19th, you know, century through, like, the early 20th century, this was a very dominant ideology you know responsible for a lot of math and science and architecture and it was only in the latter half of that uh the 20th century that people looking back were like oh that stuff doesn't work as well as we thought. It's just everything is much more complicated. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, it turns out that a lot of systems that we thought were stupid were actually just doing incredibly complicated things that we didn't understand. And we were just so arrogant about our ability to like do everything better. Because a lot of times this was people from Western cultures like looking at the processes of like indigenous people or people in uh yeah yeah people in non-developed countries and we were just looking at the way that they did things and just being like well obviously that's wrong we'll just start by assuming they're doing it wrong and then we'll figure out how to do it right but it turns out that they're you know there there's indistinguishable things so i'm bringing all of this up because obviously what's really going on here is that sheldon and uh amy are suffering a classic failure mode of high modernism which is where when they articulate all of the things that both of them need in a relationship it is all seems very rational and straightforward and easy to accommodate but there is some uh there is something underneath the surface that only leonard can provide sheldon that amy cannot and not even sheldon can articulate what that is but without it he feels miserable and trapped
1: i'll go with that that sounds good i'll take it that kill I
0: killed, like, ten minutes, five minutes. Yeah,
1: yeah. We've learned and we've moved forward in time. One of those <laughs> things is really all we're concerned about. But hooray for the other as well. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't... I am... Um, yeah, the move in the new thing is big. Uh, because, like... This wasn't articulated in the episode. But uh, I, I have friends who get into relationships and are like, Okay. Now I have a person that I'm going to start spending all of my time with. And I hear that, and I shudder, because I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I I need to have time where I just zone out and stare at a wall and don't have to talk to anybody. And uh, that is something that doesn't really seem to be a concern here. But hey, anyone that listens to us and was thinking about moving in with me know that I have reservations, I guess. That's where this is going. Ah. <sighs> Do we want to move on to our nerd things? I actually, yes. I had like an epiphany of what I was going to, to recommend where I came in feeling very cold, very uncertain uh, with that. Yeah, let's officially make the transition. So yeah, episode, kind of, you know, whatever, whatever. We're past it. We're past it. Let's talk about things we actually enjoy on oh. our... Oh, shit. Oh Oh, Kyle, it's too late. I'm sorry. If you had an epiphany...
0: It's not an epiphany. It's just I have one other thing that maybe you, the one other thing that's interesting in this episode that takes like 2 seconds to talk about is all right. Raj says he wants he can't spend the weekend looking after Wallowitz's mother because he has to go out. And oh,
1: in this very dark yeah, scene just
0: reads him for reads him for uh, or not Leonard Wallowitz just reads him for filth he just says if by go out you mean uh, waiting too long in a line at a club. Uh, going in, uh, staring at a pretty girl you don't have the nerve to talk to, for, uh, while you drink a single cosmopolitan for way too long, and then eventually giving up and eating Marie Calendars in your car and crying to yourself. Then yes, you have plans, and Raj does not dispute this.
1: Yeah, it was brutal. He he doesn't even up, get upset by it. He's like Walowitz, well, you have seen right through me. I'll take okay. care of your mom. <laughs>
0: yeah, so that was one of the. One of the interesting, darker moments. Okay, moving on.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, we're getting into the part of the show where we'll talk about things we actually enjoy, or in some rare cases, enjoy, in addition to the Big Bang Theory. Uh, not this week. No, I think this is a certain instead-of week. So, like I said, Kyle, I just had one come to mind, but do you want to go first, or shall I? Go ahead. Okay, so my initial thought that I'm discarding is going to be a really quick mini-recommendation. I was going to say uh, I've been playing uh, Sekiro, Shadow's Day twice, which uh, I, in the past, have thought was too hard. Uh, I still think it's too hard, but I'm better at it. Uh, but yeah, hard to recommend because it is so hard. And I'm playing Bloodborne again. That's what all other Souls <laughs> games that aren't Bloodborne do. They just make me think of how much I want to play Bloodborne. So um, that's
0: yours. That's officially your Souls-like is Bloodborne.
1: God, I've got the yarn of madness, Kyle. I can't help it. Just that's fine. something I think a about. A lot of
0: people think that that's like one of the best ones. So. Uh,
1: yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it really feels like I'm never going to be like a, an expert at it or anything, but it's like, oh, I have found something that I just tune into. But that's not going to be the recommendation because I've recommended that multiple times already. <laughs> um, but last night, uh, and I loved it, so I don't know why it was. I wasn't thinking about it today. I'm sure I've seen it before, but this is the first time I can remember watching it in its entirety. I watched uh, David Cronenberg's version of The Fly.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those movies where it's been around for, like, in my mind, almost my entire life. And so <laughs> I have absorbed the vast majority of it and know all the beats. Yeah, kind of like when I watched Psycho, which was like the exact same situation... I watch it and I'm like oh right no this is a real movie this isn't like just a pop culture thing that happened like this is its own magical little like cohesive thing and to like see that it worked for me outside of just being you know about the titular fly but that uh, I found it a thoroughly enjoyable film uh, all the way through is nice and for anyone who doesn't know uh, it's got a fly in it. It's uh, It's got Jeff Goldblum, who I think this is before, uh, much much as he, throughout the film, transforms into a fly. I think this is him pretty early in his metamorphosis into a hunk. He, uh, at the beginning of the movie, I found was distinctly goofy looking. Um, and then he takes his shirt off, and you're like, I don't fucking care whether he's got a mullet or not anymore. Um but yeah, he's, he's starting to look good. and But what happens is he is a, uh, a fun little scrappy scientist. And at some sort of conference, he tries hitting on scrappy journalist Gina Davis and is like, you're never going to believe it. I'm working on a teleporter. And he is sort of written off as a quack, but then uh, is able to prove that it works for the most part. Yeah, it seems to do fine with inanimate or specifically inorganic objects uh but if you put uh an animal in it you're not you're not gonna get an animal on the other side or at least not the animal that you were expecting so he has some flukes and uh he escalates his experiments uh big spoiler it's already been spoiled is at one point he gets into the teleporter himself but he does not notice the fly that gets in with him and when he comes out he is neither man nor fly, but some ungodly combination of both. And um, something that kind of surprised me is, first of all, um, this wasn't, I guess, a little surprising. Uh, very, very slim, straightforward movie in a great way. Um, and it it has like two sets and maybe like three, four characters. You've got Seth Brundle, the scientist. You've got Gina Davis, the journalist, who I think her name was Ronnie. Uh, And then you've got her ex-boyfriend slash big science publication editor uh, who has the ridiculous name of Stathis or Stathis, a name I'll never forget because it's so weird. Uh, And so he's the one who's like, is there money in this? What's the angle? Also, is this guy fucking my ex-girlfriend? But uh, the thing that surprised me was David Cronenberg, for anyone who doesn't already know, is known for a lot of body horror. Uh and if you don't know what body horror is, that's uh <laughs> that's anytime you're watching a horror movie and you're just kinda like, I don't feel good inside. I feel <laughs> I feel like something might be wrong with myself watching this, that maybe I'm a little drippier than I realized, <laughs> and really exploiting that. And um so the the transformation is very graphic, and I've always known that. But, like, the degree of gore and slime, really, I did not expect. Not because, like, I didn't know it was coming with David Cronenberg, but I knew that this was his, like, his most successful film. Like, maybe his most mainstream movie. And I'm just trying to think of, like, being some rando that, like, walked into the fly on a Saturday night being, like, I got two hours to kill and need some air conditioning. And then, like, oh, what is, oh, God. What is happening? Oh, everything is so gloopy. No, and so that that was surprising to me. But yeah, it's like I said, it's very tight, very straightforward. It uh, works great. Uh, don't watch it if you don't like gore, because it's not like you know, it's it's not a slasher movie. People aren't getting cut into cartoonish pieces or whatever. Instead, you you have to confront what a body looks like. If it is rapidly transforming and decaying, and it's gross. Uh, that said, yeah, watch the fly. It's lovely. Uh, Kyle, your turn.
0: All right. Um, so this this isn't actually a recommendation for the game I'm going to start by referencing. Not because it's bad, just because I feel like it's, its legacy will be judged by larger people than me. But I finally started playing Cyberpunk 2077. Boo! <laughs> Right. Uh, a game that, uh, Oh God. Uh, I don't even have time, but it was a game that we all thought was going to usher in the, the Messiah. We thought it was going we, to, we were going to start
1: living in the matrix when this yeah, game came it out
0: single handedly. <laughs> really. We just wanted another game to make us feel how the Witcher three made us feel. And because it was by the same people and it was absolutely promising that it would make us feel that way. Um, we it it turned out that when it could not do that, everyone was really upset. But I've been playing it; it's fine. Uh, I think the best review of it uh, I read was like, "Yeah, I mean, do you like uh, do you like Mass Effect?" And then do you also like Grand Theft Auto? And then do you also like Far Cry? Because it's basically like if you imagine those three people having a baby together, that's basically Cyberpunk. It's like other than having ridiculous ridiculous graphics uh and being impossible to run on anything short of like a PS5 or PS5 co- uh computer equivalent uh you know it's actually not that mind blowing a game in terms of gameplay although it's still fun uh but mostly it just got me thinking uh uh about how good cyberpunk as a genre really is so if i, I this mm-hmm. feels a little bit uh crummy but my recommendation this week
1: is just going to be
0: cyberpunk it is good
1: uh if you well, have Kyle, let me let me interject you said you thought it's going to be a bit crummy here i want to say no i just say, i i'm excited to hear you talk about this because that was the biggest letdown for me with this game was looking forward to living in a cyberpunk world and then hearing it's a fairly straightforward narrative it's so please extol the virtues of this because it's something I love and want to know more about. (laughs) Good. So I will
0: say, so cyberpunk as a genre was this thing uh, that, you know, sort of came out of the eighties and the early emergence of technology uh, and the internet. And it was sort of the first and, you know, sort of, unchecked capitalism like we got, you know, in the aftermath of Ronald Reagan, it was sort of the first meditations of writers trying to imagine what the future was going to look like, you know, in the aftermath of that. And it was designed, it was defined by uh, some very different writers and artists and uh, filmmakers who all had slightly different ideas of what the future was going to Uh, look like but they somehow all well not somehow uh, because they were all taking inspiration from sort of the same uh, general trends they converged around sort of similar aesthetics so like one of the things uh, that a lot of cyberpunk has in common is it's very noir-based because it's about the breakdown of uh, traditional societal structures and institutions in the face of radical corporatism and capitalism, which reminded everyone of sort of like the breakdown of traditional institutions at the beginning of the 20th century, which was what spawned the initial noir movement. So there's a lot of neo-noir influence on uh, the cyberpunk genre. In fact, some people make a big distinction between uh, cyberpunk and tech noir, which is like supposed to like Cyberpunk's dirty cousin, but I'm not gonna get into that. Well, it's too complicated. But uh
1: as you're talking about the, the capitalism critiques, I'm just thinking I, I hadn't thought about it this way before, but like I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of anarcho-capitalism. And like thinking about that, that feels to me like someone who would look at a cyberpunk world and be like No, I want to be the guy on the 116th floor that's like watching society crumble around me. That is what I want. But anyway.
0: So watching everything, I mean, watching everything uh, get eaten alive by capitalism, watching everything sort of slowly get eaten alive by commodification, meaning everything is about, like, toys and the latest, like, owning the latest model of the coolest thing uh, that some people can't afford and some people can't. And then uh, watching everything sort of get... uh, get bathed in uh it's not how do i i mean i don't know a better word for it orientalism which is not to say Mm -hmm. uh uh this isn't uh it wasn't so basically i want to make a distinction between actual asian culture being introduced to the united states and britain and the western world and then like the way in which we sort of fetishized it and turned it into like this weird uh parody of itself So consequently, in cyberpunk, um, uh, all of these different trends merge into a future where we all live in like dark, as Nick was saying, we live in dark, ratty tenements and skyscrapers. The world is controlled by corporations that are now more powerful than traditional nation states because most of them has collapsed. Uh, The environment is starting to break down, so it's always overcast or raining or dusty. Um and every and and there are like you know geishas and 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 uh, Asian gangs everywhere and if you want to be and sometimes if you want to be really really uh pretentious instead of calling them corporations you call them zaibatsus in the things <laughs> uh, which is I think just a Japanese word for a big corporation that has I been around so. a long time um but yeah all of this stuff merged together some of it was like better and more awesome some of it was uh you know like i said more on the cheap side uh some definitive uh cyberpunk works i I mean people would argue about what are the most definitive but again i would you know probably no one would argue that like neuromancer and the works of william gibson particularly his earlier writings are uh, a huge influence on the genre uh in film again this sort of this blends it's people can argue whether this is really cyberpunk or just cyberpunk adjacent, but Blade Runner, if nothing mm-hmm. else, the aesthetic of Blade Runner obviously influenced the genre quite a bit. Um And then in the 90s, you get things like Ghost in the Shell and Snow Crash, which definitely... uh Go forward, so you just have uh, all of this different stuff sort of fusing together to create this image of this world that actually, as many people pointed out, isn't really a vision of the future. It's just a vision of, it's just a parody of the present, just dialed up to a thousand. Oh, and I was going to say, and argue because arguably, if Blade Runner is cyberpunk, then you can even say something like, you know, RoboCop is kind of cyberpunk adjacent because it's definitely about you know oh. a world controlled by uh corporations and and people slowly losing their humanity to machines so
1: i I mean i absolutely would because that's like i don't know that's almost like cyberpunk the early years where they're like hey neo detroit that's just a dream right and then a hundred years later you've got robocops all over the streets or whatever but
0: (laughs) yeah can you imagine yeah and so and even yeah so playing the playing the game cyberpunk um you even have like, uh, and like, interesting this idea that, like, you, like, there are police departments, but they're all privatized. And sometimes you can work as basically like a freelancer for the police so that if someone reports a crime and no one's in the area, you can just check your app and you can go beat up to <laughs> or murder whoever is, you know, being complained about and just collect some money on the side. That's just a side way of making money is just freelancing as a police vigilante. Nice. Um, uh, so yeah. It's just uh I think the parts of it that appeal most to me are the transhumanist elements. So most of the things about.
1: <laughs> so you're just reading my mind as I was thinking of like, oh, I know absolutely what I've been to, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, Kyle, so yes, it, <laughs> so obviously, like you
0: said, I don't dream about like being a pawn of a giant, uh, um, like empire, like corporation. But do I want, like, a chip in my head that lets me access the internet or, like, you know, dial phones without picking them up? I absolutely do. Do I want cool, like, you know, a cool cyborg arm that I can use to, like, punch a hole in the wall? Yes. Do I want that arm to then turn into a gun slash knife? Absolutely I do. It's like, that is the part. And I do think, to be fair to the video game, I think that's the part that the cyberpunk video game probably gets the best is just the both aesthetically and physically the fact that like everyone you meet just has like little you know machine parts sticking out of them um uh and they're always like breaking down and Mm -hmm. needing repairs and it's just incredibly expensive just to live because in a future and this is again to link it to capitalism in a future where like You know, you can imagine just like now, if you want a decent job, you have to go to college in the future. If you want a decent job, you have to be able to afford to get a computer in your brain. So either you already come from a wealthy family where you can have that done or you have to do incredibly sketchy things and, you know, go into debt with incredibly sketchy people just to have the basic, you know, commodities that you need to interface with the corporate environment. Uh, And so that's a big theme. Uh, cyberpunk as well oh i know specifically so if all of this appeals to you um the cyberpunk video game is based on a cyberpunk role-playing game that i have never played and therefore will not recommend but i will say there's a very good cyberpunk game rp like tabletop rpg called the sprawl which distills all of these elements down very very well in which you are basically you and the other players are basically you put together a team of like archetypal like cyberpunk characters. So it's like the hacker, the Mm -hmm. soldier, the street killer, the, the fixer, the driver, and you all like team up and it's just every, instead of like dungeon diving, it's like, uh, every session revolves around just like a different corporate mission. So you're constantly committing acts of corporate thievery, espionage, assassination for groups that are for and organizations that are far, far bigger than you. Um, you well, know. that
1: that makes, wanna, that makes me want to that makes me want to squeeze in a mini recommendation based on a different tabletop cyberpunk game, uh, Shadowrun.
0: I wonder where... if you were going to mention Shadowrun.
1: Well, and I specifically want to mention uh, more as like a historical artifact because I don't think it really ages that rate that great gameplay wise. But um, there were two different Shadowrun video games on the Sega and the Super Nintendo. And the Super Nintendo one, which I think was actually better known and probably better received, is in like the bigger Shadowrun, Cyberpunk, you know, aesthetic world, but is a pretty straightforward narrative. The reason I really like the Sega one is that you are basically just a low, You start the game like as a low-level thug and you're like, oh, I got to go hit the streets and find jobs and engage in, you know, kind of kind of noirish detective activities, but also... You're you're just trying to figure out whether you're gonna get <laughs> like focus on getting your head jacked so you can go on corporate like espionage runs or if you wanna be an assassin or do stuff like that. And uh it's one of those things where like like I said, it's the gameplay doesn't age well because it's so rudimentary, but that was like one of the first video games I played that like really let you have that that freedom and that control over what you do with your character. And unfortunately, I don't think there have been like really great Shadowrun games. Like there was oh, these.
0: Re- I, so you did not. I mean, I assume you know about. It. You didn't like Shadowrun Returns, or I was I
1: was, I was about to mention. Though, I think that's been maybe the best attempt. I liked it fine. I have to play the. uh... I hear the the the, the Dragon something or other DLC. Was... Dragonfall. Yeah, I hear that was like far exceeded the base game, but um, yeah. Uh, I like that stuff as well. So if you. If you're an old, old nerd like me and want to play a weird, archaic Sega game, Shadowrun. Babby's first cyberpunk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and again, I don't want to, uh, for those of you who are, I mean, because I know people get excited about video games and, and some of you are probably excited to play this game and, you know, you probably wouldn't take my recommendation one way or the other if you really want to play this. But I do want to say, if you're looking forward to finally being able to play this cyberpunk game. And uh, you're worried that you're not going to like it. It is, it's very good. It's just not like this transcendent experience. It plays like other games, mostly that you have played. And it doesn't do the thing that a lot of people wanted to do, which The Witcher actually did. Like The Witcher, the writing was so good in The Witcher that it sort of deconstructed a lot of like the, the fantasy and the dark fantasy and medieval fantasy tropes and like made you like really feel like you were living in a world that's sort of like you know, transcended a lot of, you know, basically like people like to compare the Witcher to the Dragon Age series. And they were like, well, uh, you know, one is one is generic and then one is actually like, you know, a really artistic thing. And I guess what I'm saying is the cyberpunk game does a very good job at presenting like a pretty faithful cyberpunk world, but then it doesn't really challenge any of the tropes. Uh, in in a, or give you enough character development for any of the particular characters that you're like oh no I'm really invested in like the stakes of this world and I'm thinking about this like it feels real and organic and alive to me in a way that like you know almost transcends playing a video game which is an incredibly high bar to hold a video game too yes. so maybe we all just wanted too much but you know people thought that CD Projekt Red could basically make no mistakes for a while there and we were wrong.
1: And I don't know, like, I'm worried about wanting to talk so much about that part and getting carried away at this point, but I'm also going to say, like, they did it to themselves, and fandom is terrible, and video game development is terrible, at least right now. Like,
0: Did you hear about, I mean, I don't want to bum you out, but did you hear about this Bayonetta thing? Are you bummed out about that?
1: I I saw it approximately thirty seconds before we started the podcast, Kyle. If it's the same thing, I saw on yeah. Kotaku that the OG voice actor is recommending a boycott because she got like I didn't actually see the article, but alleging that she got lowballed like preposterously on the gig for the third game.
0: Yeah, they offered her like four thousand bucks.
1: Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, that does stink. That's Yeah, that's well.
0: That is, if that's the real number, I mean, it, I haven't seen like. How would we verify that? But that would be kind of a weirdly absurd number to be the voice of like one of the most iconic video game characters ever.
1: Well, and this isn't the same thing, but I was watching a video the other day about how like Hollywood VFX studios are in a crisis and shuddering because they have such a disadvantage against the studio system that they basically have to take like low rates and no credits and if things don't work out they suffer all the loss and like i said it's not the same thing but it's it seems like uh what was her name jennifer hale i can't remember if that's current or former bayonetta actor
0: i think that's the person they replaced oh, the but
1: with. well whoever the original is then like you're working in an industry where you like i guess aside Helen from Taylor unionization oh well but yeah i was gonna say aside from unionization like you have so little leverage, and uh, it sucks. It's hooray for big AAA development, but it, this is what it causes when it goes on. Un- hey, you know what? Uh, Bayonetta is cyberpunk now. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this is the the first little inklings of Bayonetta being af- affected by a dystopian uh, future. Because yeah, if you want
0: the dystopian thing, you can imagine. A future where uh, – because I think this was even in, like, a novel I read once. It's, like, once we get to the point where you can own the digital rights of, like, real actors and it's cheaper to, like, digital – I mean, we're not there yet, but you can imagine a universe where it's it's cheaper to, like, model a CGI performance of, like, Brad Pitt than it is to, like, hire Brad Pitt to record new, like, dialogue and and – and film him doing it, then you can imagine like a universe where like real actors are being put out of work or being low because it 's like well, we already own the rights to digital Robert Downey Jr. You really think we 're going to pay you anything when we could just you know make Robert Downey jr. the star of every movie from now until the end of time
1: Well, this could be bullshit, but i I thought I saw a headline recently about Bruce Willis selling his digital rights to do something exactly like that because yeah, he unfortunately has to tap out of acting because he has apparently pretty significant, uh, camera chemical... Oh, it was uh, aphasia, uh, that that's, but yeah, I guess that I have to verify it that maybe he sold his likeness and digital rights so they can just keep plugging him into movies anyway. Gross, but ugh. the future, everybody, we're living in it. It's lovely. I can't wait until I have a jack in the side of my forehead uh, that will allow me to order a pizza without having to talk to anybody. <laughs> or remember my password for an account. That's all I want. That's the future I want. Yes. Or, I
0: mean, one thing you can do in Cyberpunk is apparently you can, because uh, you go to a place where this go is you just have have sex with people like basically sex workers and are now spared the the risk and the indignity of actually having to have physical sex with people because you can just you know sit in a booth together and and you know jack your brains and (laughs) jack your brains off just jack your brains into each other and it's like yeah nobody can tell the difference
1: anyway well turns out the future is good i'm optimistic again (laughs) hooray for digital sex work we're moving forward (laughs)